What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Pazabon, and you are listening to part two of episode 24 of VGM Generations. With me this time is Norm Garrett. Would you say a zebra is a white horse with black stripes or a black horse with white stripes? I don't know, but I know that if you shave it, the stripes are still on the skin. It's actually an invisible horse with black and white stripes, so you don't bump into it. There you go. <laughs> and Aaron Belachek is also here. Yeah. <laughs> Side splitters. Yeah. Great start. Uh, and in this series of episodes, we are talking about point and click adventures, and it is Norm's turn to go first. So, Norm, what do you have for us this week? I have The Adventures of Willie Beamish from 1991 for uh, Amiga and MS DOS. Uh, I will also mention it came out for Sega CD. That's Ms. DOS if you're nasty. Ms. DOS. <laughs> I'm not nasty. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, developed by Dynamics, who were a subsidiary of Sierra and Sierra Online. And actually, I don't know, but Aaron, you may know, because I know you've mentioned them before, the difference between Sierra and Sierra Online. It's the same company. Yeah. I think basically they... they I'm pretty sure that they just shifted their name once they kind of became more of a... Uh, was it just a date thing? Like yeah, a, I think it was Sierra like a, just, just a date trend, thing. So they just truncated their, uh, truncated their name. Because LucasArts mm-hmm. wasn't always LucasArts. They were... Well, they were Lucasfilm Games. Lucasfilm Game first, yeah. yeah. They were Lucasfilm Games, then they became LucasArts. And I'm pretty sure it's the same thing with Sierra Online. It's just like, we need to drop. <laughs> okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, developed by Dynamics. Uh, they did a they did a few games. I think they did The Incredible Machine. Um, they did... That was published... That's a great game. I think The pu- Incredible Machine was published by LucasArts, though. Was it? Pretty sure. I thought that'd I had. be a great collaboration. Yeah, <laughs> I may be mistaken then, actually, but I know they they did betrayal at Crondor, I believe, as well. Yeah. I haven't played, but have heard good things about. Uh, so yeah, I'll get in a bit about the Sierra versus. Uh, well, Aaron talked about it last week. The the philosophies <laughs> between Sierra games and Lucas Arts games. And yes. How I feel about that, but uh, th- this game was, was dynamics. Yeah, this one, the one. This you're is about, dynamics, yeah. but it, it was similar. So I'll just start talking about that now. So one of the things that we talked about last week was how uh, in in Lucas Arts games you couldn't really die. There was no real game ending, game ending sequence of events. Oh shoot! <laughs> I, I was going to mention like I forgot to mention this last week, but uh, you could die in Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Oh, there actually were situations where you could die, and that was Lucas Arts. That was Lucas Arts. Yeah. Oh, so your whole theory is bunk. Well, it's not bunk. They like they they made it very specific. It's like they know, made it obvious. Like time. you were gonna like you're gonna die. Something's gonna happen. This is gonna get really bad. But yes, you could die in uh, in the Indiana Jones graphic adventure. And then was it back to the game start, or was it back to no back save to point? your last save point? Okay. But anyway, like it's departure for them. But anyway, that's an aside. Yeah, and that's one thing that always frustrated me about games like Space Quest, which where I really liked the environment, really liked the uh, the characters and the writing and stuff. But it was just it was harder to play because you couldn't you couldn't take your time with everything. You couldn't you couldn't experiment without ending your game. So <laughs> you you'd have to basically save, and you're dead. Yeah, you'd have to save scum, right? Like yeah. save every new screen, and it kind of took you out of the game. But um, yeah, Lucas Arts, I think. Uh, did did a really good job with that their philosophy, but the Adventures of Willie Beamish was it's kind of a one off game. It doesn't have a long legacy. It was just yeah. There's no sequels. There's no you know. It was it was just a one off game. Um, I think its main purpose, its main inspiration was was cartoons. So one thing it it did that 
it sounds like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Be it, it, he's, well, isn't this like a Dennis the Menace he's, update? Kind yeah, of thing, he's, essentially? Bar- he's Bart Simpson. He's, yeah, okay. this Dennis is the Menace, the, Bart Simpson, you know. Yeah, this game is a 90s. A naughty neighbor kid. Yeah. This game is a 90s cartoon sitcom, basically. Um, but they did do the, the art and the uh, the way they did the cut scenes. Uh, they made it very much like a cartoon, and that's what really drew me to the game, just seeing screenshots of this super colorful game, uh, kind of hand-painted backgrounds. Um, and yeah, animated cutscenes. Um, like I said, this method of having terminal events for your character actually worked a bit better with this game because it was scripted more like something you would watch. So, so you're saying that it wasn't the buxom school nurse that uh, was the main inspiration for uh, playing Willie yeah. B. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know if you were going to mention that or not. But oh, have you it. played this game? I've played parts of it and okay. I know of it and Norman and I have right. talked about it. Yeah. All right, all right. So, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I was like, where is he pulling this from? <laughs> it's, it's definitely dated in some aspects for sure, but uh, it's, awful. it's it's got some pretty decent decent writing and uh, yeah, like I said, the, the graphics are really well, well done and that's what drew me to the game originally. I still remember seeing the box in, in the store and it was like, I want this game just because it looks so good. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, just colorful games really drew me in. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that when we were talking about Wonder Boy and Sega Genesis games. So, yeah, it's a theme for me, I guess. Maybe maybe because I started on the uh, black and white Macintosh. <laughs> color color <laughs> yeah, was such a revelation. Yeah, but w- Willie Beamish didn't have like a lot of adventure games had a very like sort of straight up style, but this was much more fast and loose. This was a uh, stylized, like you said, like a cartoon. Yeah, so very, was, very much so. It's so games like, you know, Space Quest or Sam and Max or whatever, you're always kind of from the same perspective. Every different scenario, every different scene, you know, he would be a different size. Um, the foreground and background would be different. So it was, it was a pretty... I don't know. It, it just speaks back to that trying to be like a cartoon uh, style they went for, which I, th- I think they did quite successfully. Very dynamic. Yeah. Dynamics. Dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics. Graphics. <laughs> so, yeah, you were this, I think, nine-year-old boy, and the game opens up, and you're in, it's, it's the last uh, period of class before summer vacation, and you're dreaming about playing Nintari. So... Um, of course, Nintendo and Atari. Couldn't be even Nintendo. Nintendo. It wasn't. At, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. big at the time. It was Nintari. I like that Nintari. That's good. Yeah. So if you're dreaming about playing this game in the Nintari champ- Championships, and that's the goal of the game is to um, go to the Summer Nintari Championships and win. So that's kind of what you're trying to do. And the plot of the Wizard. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. It, and there's this. It's called the. So they're imposed, uh, I guess not so much a time limit, but how you lose is there's this troubleometer on the left side. And if you, you know, piss off your dad or you push your sister off the swing set, the meter goes up to um, cadet school when it hits the top. And then <laughs> below it, it's, at, it's just good boy at the bottom. So It sounds great. <laughs> it, 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 it's a pretty fun game. Like I said, a lot of the concepts and the jokes are pretty dated, but... Uh, yeah, onto the music. Um, being, I think they kind of went for the same kind of style, like cartoony music, um, and a lot of it's pretty good. Um, it's it's standard kind of background music that you would hear in kind of a 
you know, media of this style, but uh, a lot of it uh, really stuck with me just because I liked this game so much. Um, so the track I picked is, and I'll get in a bit into the dynamics of the music in the game, um, but let's just play the track. It's called Day Two in the Beamish Household. <laughs> back then oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah. easy easy sample to replicate I yeah guess. i guess yeah and i i tried to get the best version like we talked last week about the different versions of pc games i tried to get the sound blaster version it is emulated through dos box so it's not genuine hardware but so did you close. capture this uh n- sort yeah, of yes yeah. sort of i i didn't play it through dos box and ca- capture it someone had a uh someone had done it Okay. Yeah. Okay. But that's that was the capture method. Yeah. You've got to find those people who are doing it right. Because like when I've been searching for these PC games, I found like five or six versions of a lot of the songs that I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. and none of them are the one I want. Right. Yeah. So do you like do you think you remember it accurately enough that you? Oh yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Like it is burned into your head. And like the second like the opening note happens, nope. You know. Yeah. You're like, no, this is the wrong one. Yeah. And even this version I got, I noticed subtle, subtle differences. But I think like either the person riffing it had a different sound card, or they just don't care. Like it, it doesn't matter that much. Which you know. I mean, we're video game podcast guys. It matters to us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want that, like, and that's the thing is, even if the mix is wrong, like, there'll be, like, a part with an instrument that I remember that stands out in my head, and then on a different sound card, that part is, like, pushed back, or even a different instrument, and I'm like, nope, this is wrong. Yeah. Well, the, the problem table. is, too, like, the dynamics of your speakers yep. would also affect it, right? So, mm-hmm. like, even if it is on the Sound Blaster, if you had better or worse speakers, you know what I mean? Things will be accentuated or you know, missing from the mix. Well, I mean, we all had those Alltech Lansing. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Alltech Lansing. That was the 
still got, got those shit in back a box in the day. somewhere. Yeah, so I, I got mine sitting around somewhere. <laughs> I yeah, that was the uh, the day two music. So one one of the things that did really good to set the the atmosphere is I think the game progressed over four days, four or five days, um, and every day the same environments would have different music. So you would the music kind of. Um, it reminds you of the situation that he was in on each day, even though the environments are the same. So I thought that was a pretty neat, neat way for them to um, diversify the different moods uh, throughout the game. So, yeah. Very cool. Willie Beamish. <laughs> so what do you remember about this game, Aaron? Like you said, you, nurse. but you didn't beat the whole game. You just played the first few levels. No, I, I, the thing is I was aware of this game actually back in the day. I don't think I played it when it first came out. I may have actually, um, DOS boxed it when Norm first sort of reintroduced me to the concept of it, but okay. I, it was just a, like a light touch. I didn't really delve deep into it, but. And how does the nurse come into it? Cause it sounds like you're starting <laughs> summer She's school. She's the school nurse and he's faking sick or something like yeah. that. And he goes to the nurse's office and it's your classic, like cartoon nurse like hello nurse Cla- hello it's hello yeah nurse. it it's is ex- hello exactly nurse. hello nurse. Okay. <laughs> and i think yeah i think one of your options is to go <laughs> that sounds hilarious is yes. to like because you're in detention on the last day of school so everyone wants to get out but you can say you're sick she sends you to the nurse nurse's office and then i can't remember what the teacher fail or something well yeah depending on what you tell the Choose, nurse yeah. is wrong with you you can either end up in the hospital or you get out early or <laughs> yeah very yeah. good all right, Aaron, what do you right. have for us this week? Well, uh, we talked about LucasArts, and uh, Norm mentioned Sierra a couple of times, but uh, let's, let me actually jump in and do a Sierra game. So not really point and click. This is your classic precursor to uh, point and click. This is your graphic adventure that actually had a text parser. So you typed in commands. This was the evolution of those text adventures, your Zorks and whatnot, pure text adventures, where they basically just gave graphics to it. And this was Sierra's sort of bread and butter. The first one I actually played, the first adventure game that I, like game with graphics on the PC practically that I played. I remember playing a lot of like text-based stuff and like ASCII art style um, games. And then this was the first game that I played on PC that had graphics was Space Quest. And that was the one where you like walk around with the keyboard, you type in commands, you die all the time because that's the way it was done. But that's the way Sierra did things. And this one, the game I'm talking about is called Conquests of Camelot, The Search for the Grail. Not as well known as your, you know, hero quests, your space quests, your king's quest kind of stuff. But Conquests of Camelot was a pretty good game that was going to be part of a series that Sierra was, was doing um, the Conquests series, and they did release a second game in it called uh, Conquests of the Longbow, which was the story of Robin Hood. But the first game, and then the series never progressed pa- past that, but so Conquest of Camelot, Search for the Grail, as you can probably imply from the name, was Arthurian legend. So King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, that was, a, that was the kind of thing. Um, this game came out in 1989, uh, like I said, developed by Sierra. I played it on the PC. And the composer was a guy named Mark Seibert. So not a ton of information on Mark Seibert. Uh, All I was able to really find out about him is that he got the job at Sierra just by answering an ad in a local newspaper. Oh, wow. And uh, (laughs) there's a ton of those old stories of like guys like I showed up there and I was like, hey, can I have a job? And they were like, what can you do? And they're like, Sure. <laughs> yeah, most of them are like, I knew a guy, my roommate, my yeah, friend. Or, yeah, yeah, I walked I knew in off the guy. street, I answered a thing in the newspaper. God, what a but, time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, and he worked up his way at uh, at Sierra um, doing uh, 
just from that walking down the street, he was doing like sound editor and some sound creation and he worked his way up to producer at the company. And wow. so, I mean, he was there until basic Sierra, Sierra was no longer a thing. And I guess he's a math teacher now. So no way. Really? Yeah. Oh man. What a downgrade. <laughs> as, no, I mean, I'm, uh, as long as he's happy. I used yeah. to run Sierra yeah, online yeah. and now I'm a math teacher. Uh, he was, he, he was, uh, yeah, that was the thing is he always wanted to keep doing, um, composing, but as he worked up to producer, he's doing more producing and did, got to do less composing, yeah. but still tried to jump in and do co composition stuff. So um, this Conquest of Camelot game, Arthurian Legend, I'll just give a brief sort of um, recap of what the game is. It's essentially like Camelot is dying. It's the de declining, declining era of, of the court of King Arthur and Camelot. And so in order to restore glory to the kingdom, several knights of the round table head off to find the Holy Grail. And, uh, and they all go missing. They all go and none of them return. So four knights like head out. And so you're as King Arthur in this game, you're sort of tasked by Merlin to go out and find the knights and find the grail. And uh, it's funny because Merlin is essentially the narrator of the game. And so he's kind of like the voice of the text parser. So every time you type a command, what responds back to you is Merlin. He's this all seeing eye who actually um, talks about stuff. It's a being a Sierra game. It's one where you, you know, you take even the slightest wrong turn, pick, pick up the wrong thing, look at a character the wrong way and you are dead. <laughs> so, and also, this game was hard in the sense that if you failed to help any of your knights along the way, you failed the game. But you didn't know that until you got to the end of the game. Ooh. And you were judged by the grail. So the thing oh, is, yeah, I see. Okay. Th there was a lot of things. And I'm going to do a little bit of spoilers. I figure it's okay. I don't know if anyone's going to play Conquest of Camelot. Yeah, you're it's a game fine. that you can't really acquire through like legit means as far as I know. It may be Abandonware at this point. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Sierra. I haven't heard that Somebody must own the rights. Before. Abandonware. Yeah, abandonware. I like that. Well, I mean, there's, they're like, if you go to the internet archives, there's a lot of like old DOS games that are basically just online for free. They're, yeah. they're ones that like nobody's really doing anything with the rights. So nobody's really trying to enforce them. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Or who the companies has, are gone. Yeah. I don't know what's happened to a lot of the rights to Sierra properties. Like I bought the Space Quest collection on Steam. I'm sure someone must own a lot of them. Yeah. I bought the Quest for Glory collection on Steam. So, I mean, they're still getting released a lot, at least a lot of the bigger, more popular ones. Conquest of Camelot is one that I'm not so sure we're ever going to see a resurgence of. Mm. Mixed up Mother Goose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a. I, I remember that game. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, a little tough to find this game. But so I'll, I'll go into spoilery territory uh, in the fact that, yes, like if you encounter one of your knights, but you don't rescue them, you don't actually save them, it, you can totally bypass them, like not even encounter them. And uh, like, so there's many ways to actually fail this game. There's a point later in the game where uh, you're given like, you might be given like this special apple that will cure any disease. And uh, if you get bitten by this poisonous rat, you're going to die. The only way to like do it is to eat this apple, but your knight was also bitten by the rat. So you have to give him the apple and it's so always, is it like you're, you're done. You're like, basically done. Yeah. Actually, the thing is, is that you have to think ahead and say like, okay, if I give him the apple, but find the grail, then the grail could save me. Oh, okay. You're not, I don't think you're explicitly told that until after you give him the apple, where it's like you were dying and it's like only the grail can save you now. And like I said, you get to the end and the grail judges you on your deeds. It's the end of the game. You're holding the grail and it's like, if, so if you, you missed, one thing, missed one thing, you have failed the whole game. Again, yeah. what were they thinking? And there's not a, fun. <laughs> a sequence in the game where you actually end up in Jerusalem. And to prove, you know, to prove your worth, you basically have to help 
every single person in town with their problems. Oof. So you have to go around and it's classic video game kind of thing is you have to find out what the problems of every single townsperson solve and them. solve their problems. Yeah. And if you don't, then you don't get, you know, you basically don't get the apple and you don't get to save the night and you don't get to win the game. So You're still doing like, that in Zelda all these yeah, years later. Like Dark Souls. Yeah. It's like, you fail this night yeah. and then. And it's also a game that was heavy on <laughs> riddles and stuff like that. Like it was, there was a lot of historical accuracy in this game. When it was heavy on like riddles and puzzles and things, there was like a flower-based puzzle where, puzzle where you had to know like the names of various flowers. There was this one where you actually had to like solve real like, like I'm not talking about like video game riddles, but actually like yeah. So you had to have your riddles. Encyclopedia Britannica. You did. You. <laughs> Literally you did. And there was a lot of things that dealt with like symbols of ancient goddesses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, a lot of that information was in the manual that came with it. So like, like most DOS games at the time, you got a pretty thick manual with a lot of information in it. And at one point in my life, I took all of the important manuals, all the things containing um, like uh, copy protection and stuff like that, the newspapers, the peripherals, the little cool side pieces that came with the games. I took all of them and for safekeeping, I put them all in one box. And I lost that box, as oh, you can probably no. guess. Oh, so no. I have all these DOS games, and I've lost the copy protection for all of them. Do you think, like, was this somewhere at your parents' probably or something like probably. that? Probably. Like, okay. And I don't know if that box ever got... Like, for all Might I know, it could out. be in, like, some deep storage. I want to say to my parents, if you ever come across a box that has this stuff in it, yeah, please. don't throw it away. Please give it to me. And that's actually another sad thing. I want to get to another thing um, here about the game is that... Uh, this game was designed by um, a husband-wife team, um, uh, Christy Marks and Peter Ledger. Now, uh, those names probably don't mean much to anyone, but Christy Marks is actually really uh, fairly well-known in the animation community as, I mean, primarily as the creator of the 80s series Gem and the Holograms. So she created... Nope, uh, sorry. Do you, do you even know Gem and the Holograms? No. That's how young this guy is. <laughs> Uh, sorry <laughs> yeah gem and the holograms uh actually has fairly recently had a resurgence in comic book form so there was an uh a comic book based on it and in 2015 there was a live action movie which is one of the worst reviewed movies <laughs> ever i guess oh uh, so, gotta like, love those live action adaptations everybody hated that but that was only a few years ago so anyway so uh she was also a writer on gi joe and uh that one, yeah. yeah, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which you might have heard of. Even, yeah. even a guy like you might have heard I, of. I've heard of a couple yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> so she did work on those, but she created Gem and the Holograms. And her husband was actually quite a famous um, Australian artist. So he was an artist and illustrator, and he was well known for his like fantasy kind of stuff, airbrushing and that kind of thing. And uh, it's funny because I had this note on him that in addition to studying art, uh, Peter Ledger worked with his surveying teams in the Australian Outback, hunted deer for the government in New Zealand, was a professional scuba diver, a leather maker, and a gourmet cook. He raced motorcycles, flew in hot air balloons, was a bodybuilder, and in later years became a private pilot. So this is a guy. Wow, what a renaissance. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was really uh, sad to hear that in the 90s, he tragically died in a car accident. Oh man, too bad. And... Another interesting thing about the Christy Marks and Peter Ledger is at one point, I can't remember exactly what it was for. I wrote a letter to Christy Marks and I can't remember why it was in relation to this game or the art in the game or something along those lines, a poster. No, that was what it was. There was a website I came across that was selling a poster of conquest of Camelot. And so I, and it was on like Christy Marks's website, which was like this geo cities, like, you know, (laughs) sub nineties kind of, uh, 
social network, social network kind of things, but, but like this corner of the internet. And she wrote back to me and I actually had this letter from Christy Marks about conquest of Camelot and to her talking about her husband and everything like that. And I, I'm sure I saved it somewhere and I looked for this podcast, but I couldn't find it. So yeah, that was really like sad. That, an old, that, old email or yeah, something. an old, old email. And I think I, I might've printed it off somewhere. It's probably in that box. It. Could be in that box. <laughs> But I was a little sad because I, here I am box. the only time in my life that I will have an opportunity to talk about Conquest of Camelot. Yeah. And I couldn't find the email for, that I heard from the designer herself. So That's too bad. Yeah, it's really too bad. So uh, let's just actually listen to the song just to set this up. It is the introduction to the game. So this is the whole like title track and um, introduction sequence to Conquest of Camelot, The Search for the Grail. Before we keep going, uh, I just wanted to mention um, you can actually pick this game up on good old games. So it is, it is available out there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, when we get to the giveaway, we'll get to it. But yeah, we'll probably include it in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It'd be fun to somebody to play this. Like this game, I, like I really like it had this medieval kind of like music and everything like that. Totally. I, uh, I really liked art style like I was really captured by the cover of this like I said it was done by this famous Australian artist Peter Ledger he did the cover art for the game and it was this beautiful shot of like uh, King Arthur in full like armor sword and shield and he's attacking this other guy and the ruins of like this theater in Jerusalem are kind of around them and the 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 cover the uh, conquest of Camelot so it's a Camelot was actually raised up like it actually had embossing. And I loved this kind oh, of stuff cool. yeah. on yeah. old PC games. They did it a lot, but when they had like metallic printing on the cover or embossing, like, I don't know something about something like the kid in me, like it just, I'd see that kind of stuff and I just get so nostalgic for it's it. It's kind of like a, like an old fantasy book cover almost. And yeah. a lot of those had embossing too. So yeah. And yeah. like, like that's exactly it. like the gold leaf printing and the embossing and everything like that. And yeah. I just, I just really the business, love that. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I mean, and besides that, Peter Ledger did all the graphics in the game and it was a really, really great, like the graphics in this game were great for the time. It was really evocative, colorful, cool fantasy environments. Like it, it really gave, it actually did a really good job of getting across the atmosphere of like when you're in the deserts or in Jerusalem or the areas in England, it was really kind of cool. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at some photos of the graphics here just cause I found it on good old games. Very vibrant. Like, yeah. like just as you remember, but like back when they were like, push it to 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was, you know, it was one of those games that despite the uh, limitations of the time, had a great atmosphere and did a really good job of getting it across like interesting writing, interesting characters. So big fan of conquest of Camelot. I never played conquests of the longbow, but 
I heard it was also well received. It's also there on good old on games good for old you. Games, so, and yeah. you can actually buy them as a package. So really, I, I'm yeah. going to do that. There you go. I think the last time, again, this is a this is the game that I pulled out that I have on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. So obviously, I haven't seen a five and a quarter floppy inch drive in God knows how long. So I don't need. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any. You way have I to have possibly, an old PC. Like yeah. there's no way to exactly use any so of those I could, anymore i don't think so you know this might be one that if i can pick them up as a package i'll just do it on good old games and then i can go back and play this this is a game that i actually have over the years played through a number of times so, okay yeah so time to go back time to go back it's always good time to go back to see if i remember the solutions to the riddles and everything like oh, that. oh yeah that so, actually yeah that'd be a good memory test <laughs> yeah keep you keep the brain working exactly all right so uh that's on to me so uh the second game again uh recommended by callum uh, our fan on uh, Twitter there from Scotland uh, is Sanitarium. So uh, this is developed by a company. I think both these companies are gone now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Dreamforge Entertainment, not entertainment, <laughs> entertainment, entertainment and ASC games. This is one I'm not familiar with. Yeah. So um, this is a bit of a, a little niche niche of a game because it was by a smaller developer and less well known. Uh, came out in 1998. And the music is by Stephen Bennett and James C. McKenney, or McKinney. Um, so it is a uh, it's a psychological horror, dark point and click adventure game. Um, takes place in an insane asylum, uh, and then you're transported to a bunch of different worlds with their own mysteries to solve. So uh, the music we're going to listen to is called "Innocent Abandoned," and uh, it it kind of gives you a feel for the whole game, like just listening to the music, you're like, oh yeah, I know what this game's about. Um, Cause it's got that like dark and grimy sort of feel. Um, so I read up a little bit about this uh, game. Um, the game actually has multiple worlds in it. So it starts in the insane asylum and then you're transported to all these different places and it's all tied together, tied together by the narrative. The reason it has all the worlds in it is because uh, the team couldn't decide what they wanted to do. So th- they knew they wanted to do s- like a point and click adventure. They knew they wanted to do something different, but they all had like a different idea of like how, where the game should be set and what, what it should be set in. And um, they couldn't decide what to do. So the eventually let's the lead designer just said, yeah. <laughs> let's do everything and we'll just tie it together narratively somehow. So that's what they did. So um, it's actually uh, one of the unique things about it is it's an isometric view point and click, which at the time uh, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of them out there because at the time it was a very difficult thing to do. Um, so they said that um, it, the art in the game is actually pretty detailed and they actually have like some um, pre-rendered cutscenes and stuff like that. Um, but getting the isometric view to work, especially uh, because it like twisted and turned and stuff like that, uh, each level they said took anywhere from 50 to 350 man hours to optimize the level just to play it um, to, or to make it uh, workable for the programmers, especially. Um, and then uh, all this work, all the work they put in it and the cinematic feel of the game, make it uh, a very emotional game. So the people that remember it fondly, and if you read in the reviews and stuff like that from when this game came out, it's like, it's very for, for its dated appearance and stuff like that at the time was a very, evocative emotional game you know what i mean like there's there's a particular scene in the game um where i think like uh it's like a memory and your sister is 
dying and she wants like this toy like it's like her last moment she's like i can't find my toy and you have to like go and try and find it and you can't find it in time and she dies and everybody's like they even said like when they were talking about it in development like there were people tearing up in the room (laughs) and stuff like that so it's it's actually a pretty well done game. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, much emotion these some of these older games that can convey. And I mean, even the limitations were were good for them because you filled in a lot of the gaps with your imagination, imagination right? Exactly. So that yeah. Was some, in a lot of cases, more evocative than a game that just shows you everything straight up, right? Yeah. So, and of course, part of that uh, part of that emotion that the game conveyed was through the music. So let's listen to "Innocent Abandoned" from Sanitarium. a little bit more about the music uh this was their first uh this was dreamforge's first crack at uh stereo sound uh so that was a a big thing for them um and the uh sound system that they used made for very natural uh sound effects in each level which they helped contribute to the feel of the game um the composer steve was also the sound designer uh for the game and uh had a huge sound of uh cd library sounds to create all the necessary effects and then process them all like customize every sound in the game so that because obviously going through all these different realms and all these different worlds everything shouldn't sound the same when you move world to world to world so he was customizing them all for each world uh which took a not insignificant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, one of the bad things about the game though, and the developer in the interview I read, the developer even admitted it is 
So I didn't actually play this game, I'll say, but I watched a bunch of playthroughs of it. And the voice acting is hilariously bad. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's really rough. Like it's one of those ones where you can tell it's just like whoever they could get yeah. kind of thing. And Go it's, down the hall, get in here, we're recording. For and you. it's not like natural at all. It's like, you know, it's very like jilted script reading and stuff like that. And like, you know, there's a t- couple times where characters like laugh in the game and it's like very... What's the one Final Fantasy Worst one? To Titus. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, you know, just very awkward and stuff like that. And the developer even said, he's like, it was just a lack of budget. Like we wanted to go get James Earl Jones to do this, but we didn't have the money. Like we didn't, we just had, we had no choice and we wanted Patrick Stewart to do it and do anything. <laughs> we wanted to get, you know, professional voice actors in, but we just frankly didn't have the cash uh, to do it. So that's the one, the one thing about the game that kind of, I think for me anyway, would like pull me out of it. Like, but uh, I don't know for a lot of people, it sounds like the art and the style and the, and the, and the emotion of the game was enough to keep them in. Can so. you play it without the voice acting? I guess you could just turn subtitles on and I don't know if you could turn off voices. Yeah. You could turn off sound altogether, but then you obviously lose yeah. the music. So, so I'm going to say it's the best way to play an adventure game. Turn yeah. off those voices. I don't want to hear anybody. All right. It's funny. Westwood Studios actually got both James Earl Jones for Command and Conquer and Patrick Stewart for Lands of Lore. <laughs> there so you go. It can be done. Yeah. There you go. There's some trivia for you. Um, uh, the last thing I'll say about this game is that they, uh, the developers tried to, or one of the developers, I should say, tried to kickstart a sequel in 2013, but was unsuccessful. So though I think this game is kind of a, a cult classic, if yeah. you will, you know, it's got that cult following. Um, there's a couple of reviews I found online for, of people who are obviously very passionate about it and talked about like how impactful of a game it was for them. They go back and play it every year. It just means a lot to them, but definitely a cult classic. So it was up against um, some pretty big games uh, for awards in the year it came out and was nominated. But sadly, I don't think it won any of the awards. So hmm. anyway, Interesting game. Uh, if you're into that, like, creep, like creepy, really messed up horror stuff, like, there's one where there's one world where you go and it's like a world where all the adults are gone and there's a bunch of kids. Yeah, children of the corn kind of. Exactly. Thing. But it was like they're all mutated. So there's like one kid that's got like two faces. He's got like a face and then a face off to the side. And it's like, even though the graphics are like, you know, rudimentary, it's creepy. Like you can see it and it's freaky. Like it's, <laughs> it's a game that I wouldn't play because I don't like scary games. Like, so that's probably part of the reason I didn't play it. But, <laughs> but yeah, Sounds if, if you're into that creepy, scary, you know, Halloweeny vibe, this would definitely be a good Halloween game for sure. So yeah, that's all I have for uh, Sanitarium. Thanks again to Callum for that suggestion and for the suggestion for the whole month. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I wasn't uh, <laughs> yeah, this I is, wasn't party this today is, the suggestion, but I'm super happy to be doing point and click. Aaron's been waiting for this one for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it for our picks this week, and it's my turn to talk about what I've been playing, but I can't really talk about what I've been playing because all the stuff I've been playing, I've been playing for the podcast. So games I've already mentioned, Thimbleweed Park, and a game that's coming up that I don't want to spoil. Uh, from Telltale. So um, I think for the giveaway, uh, I know, well, all three of these games are possible. So which one do we want to officially throw in? Should we throw in? Maybe we'll just throw in Willie Beamish because it came up first. And that was what we did last time too. Can't we, can't we just throw them all in? We'll throw them all in. Yeah. Like, but uh, right. it's just hard to like, I don't want to list like 12 <laughs> games at the end yeah. of the month. So I'm going to say officially Willie Beamish, but technically everything's in there. So Sanitarium, they did um, an iOS port came out. I think Android as well in 2014. I want to say 
So you can actually play the game on mobile. Uh, Willie Beamish and Conquest of Camelot are there on good old games. Yeah. So uh, if you want to play those, those are also in there. Officially, it's Willie Beamish. Unofficially, it's everything. <laughs> so uh, if you want to win that, uh, what do you do, Aaron? What if you want to win those games? You send us a sack of money with a big dollar sign on the side. That's and great. Yeah. No, you interact with us <laughs> in one of many ways. You leave us a review on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, tweet at us, email us, interact with us. Facebook Twitter, us. Twitter, Facebook. It's all good. Yeah. That's right. Interact with us on your social media platform of choice. Uh, or, yeah, of course, uh, reviews are great. And, uh, yeah, that's all you got to do. So we have officially, we have in there Adventures of Willie Beamish and Thimbleweed Park. Unofficially is pretty much everything we've talked about <laughs> and will be talking about all month long. Because uh, Point and Click Adventures, man, they get... They get remakes, they get re-releases. That's that's one of the great things you can say about these games is that if you liked it or you played it way back in the day, it seems like you can pretty much play yeah. it again. It, we're living in a golden age, truly, where like everything, all, all the, sure. all the like not only are all the old classics available on good old games or Steam or getting these re-releases, some are getting remasters like the Monkey Island stuff where they're like completely getting overhauled, you yeah. know, Beneath the Steel Sky, all this kind of stuff. And then you've got all these little independent studios making your Thimbleweed Parks, making your Gemini Ruse, making your like uh, Penumbra games or whatever they like there's there's all these like new adventure style games being made right now and it's what a time to be alive. It's a good time for this podcast. Yeah. We'll say that. So yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you guys next time.